0: Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. Well, I have the awesome privilege and the honor of introducing my father. I'll just say it like this. The nut doesn't fall too far from the tree. So here's the tree, Pastor Bob Bartlett. Thank you, daughter. Uh, Zach, Rebecca, if your pastors ever fire you, I'll hire you on the spot. (laughs) It is a real honor for me to be here. I am so proud of my children. I could not ask for a better son-in-law than your pastor, Philip Johnson. I couldn't ask. For him to have been a better husband to my wife to my daughter i was a husband to my wife Uh, and the way they have raised their children because what you see here is exactly what you see in their home i only get to be with them maybe once a year i see them and this week i was at camp meeting if any of you know where stillwell oklahoma is It's not too about an hour's drive from here. Uh, If I ever wanted to relocate, there's a little church near Stillwell that I would probably attend quite regularly because I told them the other day, if they miss the rapture, the Antichrist will never find where they are. (laughs) They're quite remote. (laughs) But I have I have uh, been in camp meeting all week, and I was thinking as uh, Pastor Phil was taking up, was talking about your giving, our giving. Uh, you know, the Bible says to give hilariously. I gave, uh, last year at this camp meeting, we were building, I've been going there since I was 15 years old, uh, and I preached their 100th anniversary. It's been a Pentecostal camp for 106 years. The founders of that camp, and I don't know if you know any of these names, but the founders of that camp traveled with Charles Parham right after the outpouring of this modern day outpouring in 1900. So it's an old camp. And last year we were building dorms and I pledged a thousand dollars. And on my way home, I wasn't happy. Man, I said, I just gave a thousand dollars away. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't rejoicing. I kind of got scared. This, 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 this year they asked me to take up the Friday night offering and I'm I've taken up a few offerings in my lifetime <laughs> and uh, so they asked me to take up that now the average offering on a Friday night at the camp meeting because they're just regular regular folks from Arkansas and Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma there's no high dollar people there the average Friday night offering usually around about two thousand dollars and I started off and I said I'll give the first hundred for the first thousand dollars. We raised $10,000. And guess who gave the first hundred to every thousand that was raised? Now I'm driving down that crooked road between Stillwell and uh, Springdale. And if you've ever made that road, it's a country road, a very curvy road. And all of a sudden I got to laughing I mean, I'm I'm maneuvering these curves and people that live here and drive that road all the time know the curves and so they don't slow down. But when you're almost 78 years old and you've never been on that road before, you really drive kind of carefully. And uh, I got to laughing hilariously. I said, dear God, I just gave another $1,000 away. And I got to laughing. This year, it felt good. Because just like Pastor said, we do what we do because we love God. Amen. We really do. Now, we get out about noon, close to noon. Okay, I, I'm, I've got 8 o'clock. Uh, well, actually, it's 9 o'clock Arizona time. So, uh, <laughs> Listen, when you're a pastor, now, I, this Pakistan thing, when pastor approaches you, if you're going to give them some more money, my plan in February, this coming February, I'm I'm a missionary that God never let live on a mission field, but we've traveled. My children travel the world with us. I've been to Africa sixty times, uh, been to India seven times. I've preached from Siberia to Australia and everywhere in between, and my plan is in February I'm going to Nepal, Burma, which is modern Myanmar, and Pakistan. We have a church in Pakistan. Uh, where I'm working with a pastor in Myanmar, and uh, I recently have been in contact with folks in Nepal. 1.4 Christians, 1.4% Christians in Nepal, and that includes everybody that claims to be Christians, not like us, the real ones, but uh, all, all all of the people that claim to be Christians in Nepal, and they're begging a Pentecostal, to come over there and bring the gospel to them. And guys, without embarrassment, I'm Pentecostal. From the top of my head to the sole of my feet. And that's why I like what I saw today. And I am so proud of my grandchildren. You, They are a gift to the body of Christ. I'm not saying that because they're my, my blood. But they're a gift to the body of Christ. Having been a pastor or a preacher for 62 years, since I was 15, I think think my numbers are right, you learn a lot. And man, I want to help you have a successful marriage. Listen carefully. One key to a successful marriage, never ask your wife when she's out cutting the grass what time dinner's going to (laughs) be. A lady was standing on her porch, and every evening about five o'clock, the neighbor came home, and his wife was waiting on the porch to greet him. He would hand her a rose and give her a big kiss, and this lady on this side of the driveway saw that day after day. One day, her husband came home early and said, honey, I want you to see what goes on over there. She said, now watch this. When that husband comes home, he's going to give his wife a a rose and he's going to give her a big kiss. Why don't you ever do that? He said, I don't know her very well, but if you don't care, I'll try. (laughs) Romans chapter 1 and verse number 14. Zach, I didn't give you the scriptures in advance. I'm sorry, son. Romans chapter 1 verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks. This sounds, is the sound okay? It sounds loud to me. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I want to talk to you for a few, uh, for a whole lot of minutes, (laughs) about being a debtor, what it means to be a debtor, but I'm not going to talk to you about money. I want to talk to you about being a debtor to three areas of life, the Word of God, the Church of God, and the people of God. And I believe that Americans need to hear this more than anybody else in the world because in our great, fantastic, powerful nation, and by the way, I'm from the red state of Arizona, Uh, but in this great nation that we live in, we oftentimes become so busy in trying to maintain our lifestyles, And thank God for every good thing that happens to us. Thank God. But we work hard to maintain those lifestyles. And if we're not careful, guys, in our, in our rush to maintain a good, decent lifestyle, there could be some things that we neglect in our lives. Bible reading. Commitment to one another as a a family. And I like the verbiage that I heard today about, about togetherness and family. But it's got to go beyond the comfort of our church. We're all safe in here. We feel very secure in here. We're safe in here. But do we reach beyond? And then I think we are not only a debtor to the word of God, a debtor to the people of God. And I'm talking about people outside our church. But we are also a debtor to the local church so we're debtors to the word of god (laughs) i didn't know anything about the bible when i became a christian i was as dumb as a box of rocks now my mother and dad were good dedicated kansas republicans and i'm not going to get political but but they thought if you were a republican you automatically would go to heaven my grandfather was a, a republican committee man and And my dad and his three brothers, my three uncles, there were four boys in my dad's family. He was the baby. Every one of their engagements required a meeting with my grandfather in the parlor. And he extolled to them the benefits of being a Republican. And if they didn't accept it, Grandma and Grandpa did not bless their marriage. So I've been a Republican for a long time. I was afraid not to be. But they were not born again people is this being recorded they were not born again people they were good hard-working folks mother and dad lived together my dad set a good example for me i i my wife and i were she was 16 and i was 19 when we got married i recommend 30 35 zachary we were married 50 years five months six days and 12 hours we traveled the world together she was my co-pastor She was the mother of our six children and never one time my my mother and dad never divorced never separated they were not christians but they lived good lives and so i learned in my life how to be a good father and a good husband a lover to my wife and never one time in those 50 plus years never one time did we ever talk about a divorce she talked about murder two or three times (laughs) but i didn't know i didn't know anything about the word of God I knew nothing about church and Christianity and of all the places for me to meet God was in a Pentecostal church and in that day 63 years ago we weren't called Pentecostals we were called holy rollers now you guys that's a brand new term to most of you and so I'll give you the modern translation for the word holy roller it's the unique experience the unique charismatic experience associated by traditional glossolalia as accorded in ecclesiastical writings that's the modern term for holy rollers when i got saved i'm the first person i ever saw meet the lord i didn't know i didn't know i had to get saved i didn't know i was a sinner nobody told me i was a sinner i didn't smoke because the coach for the basketball team didn't let us I didn't associate certain things with sin i didn't know i was bad i didn't know i needed to be born again and so when i saw these young people in school and i saw these young ladies and these young men the kind of lives that they lived and and and, and the their portrayal man i was intrigued so i tried to ask this one girl after a game one night i said can i take you to the dance and she said bob we don't dance Can I take you to the late movies? She said, we don't go to movies either. I said, how can I have a date with you? She said, take me to church. That wasn't on my list of exciting things to do. But I went to church with her that night. And for the first time in 15 years, I heard the gospel. I didn't understand it. The preacher preached about going to heaven, getting saved, the mark of the beast, the end of the world. A lady went to the piano and started playing that scary music. And then the preacher began to invite all the sinners to come to the front. He knew I was the only sinner there. He knew everybody else by their first name. I had never seen it. I'd never experienced it. But that night, God Almighty got a hold of my heart. And I stood up and went to the altar, got on my knees, began to cry. I only cried when we lost a ball game. A little lady came and knelt next to me. One of the, what we used to call the Mothers of Zion Some of you may remember that little old lady, her hair piled on her head and and she knelt next to me. She said, son, do you know how to pray? And I said, no. She said, hallelujah. Everybody in that church was saying hallelujah. I didn't know you could talk out loud in church. She said, say this prayer after me. I said, okay. She said, say, dear God, I'm an old, dirty, wicked, filthy, no good sinner. (laughs) I looked at her. I said, how does she know all that? She said, that's the only way to get in, so pray, and I did. She just made one mistake. She said, son, confess all your sins to Jesus. I thought she meant one by one out loud. I was 15 years old, growing hair on my legs. I'll let you... But 30 minutes later, God Almighty had written my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life and I became a child of God. So folks, I want you to know it works. It really works. First person I ever saw get saved And a week later, I'm the first person that I ever heard speak in tongues. The night I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. But that doesn't mean that I knew everything about the Word of God. I didn't know anything about the Bible. So I began to read. Now they said start in Genesis. Now today, we're more educated and we tell people to start in the book of John. But I started in Genesis. Thank God he didn't say start in Matthew. Have you ever read the first chapter of matthew no most of you skip to the third chapter before you start so i began to you know i started laughing out loud i got to genesis chapter six and seven about noah if you analyze the story of noah he built the boat and then god said you're supposed to bring all kinds of animals into the boat right well through the years as i've read that over and over as i've pastored and been around people What a similarity the church of God has with the ark of Noah. Do you know every church has skunks? Every church has two snails, last ones to get there. Every church has two lions and two tigers who want to eat up the two little lambs. So there's a lot of similarity between the Ark of Noah and the Church of God today. And I've pastored them all. And then I keep reading. I keep reading. I read about David, this big, against Goliath, that big. And so being the the demonstrative preacher that I am, I was holding a youth camp in the state of Maine. I preached that camp five years in a row. Youth camp up in northern Maine, and one night I was preaching big time, under the anointing, and I was talking about David and Goliath because I read it in here. So I took my shoe off, and it was going to be the stone that David threw at Goliath. And I threw my shoe out in the middle of that crowd. It hit a teenage girl in the elbow, fractured her elbow, and they had to take her to the hospital. <laughs> now that'll affect your anointing, you know, when things when things happen like that. So. But I had to learn some things about the Word of God. Let me tell you what I've learned. There are 66 books in the Bible. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. There were 40 authors. It took 1,500 years to write the Word of God. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 929 in the Old Testament, 260 in the New Testament. There are 31,173 verses in the Bible, and I could go on and on. 3,294 promises, 6,468 commands, but we usually scratch all those out. There's 1,260 promises, and there are more than 8,000 prophecies in the Word of God. I've learned all this since I've been saved. Psalm 119 is the longest. Psalm 117 is the shortest. Job 3.2 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Joshua 8.33 is the longest verse in the Bible. And the Bible was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Moses wrote 187 chapters. Ezra wrote 88 chapters. Paul wrote seven chapters. And I could go on and on and on. And the more I learn about the Word of God, the more it directs my path. And I have become a debtor to this grand old book. And until it occupies the primary Part of your life, you're missing out on so much. The New Testament was amazing. I tried some of this stuff that Jesus did. When we pastored in Delaware, we had a or in Philadelphia. When we pastored in Arizona, that's where I live. We had a swimming pool. Now, after my wife passed and my kids all grew up, these ugly boys married my daughters and took them away from me your exception i got three great son-in-laws and i can say this because but he's the best one he bought me a pair of shoes yesterday i I ruined my dress shoes at camp we were shouting and dancing and running and i just run right out of mine so i was going to buy me some shoes because i was coming to see the king this morning and i wanted to look good and uh so they just bought me some shoes, and thank you. They're very comfortable. I can stand here for two or three hours. in <laughs> But then I go to the New Testament, and I read where Jesus walked on water. So I woke up one morning, man, I got out of my bed. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I'm a man of God. I'm a, I'm a prophet of the Lord. That's what they tell me. So you know you hear that stuff long enough you start believing it. So I, I put on my my shorts, which which I don't go outside like that. But so I got over by my swimming pool. I'm a man of God. Jesus is inside me. He walked on water. I took that first step and went all the way to the bottom. It didn't work. So I tried. I I read that in the, I read this story where Jesus found a man that was blind and how did he heal him he spit on ground He mud made some mud one day I was feeling very spiritual and I brought a bucket of dirt in from the I was going to have an object lesson not every object lesson works and I brought this one guy he was my friend I spell was in capital letters he was my friend now sometimes preachers make mistakes you're not always anointed with everything you do but i thought i was being anointed and so i preached about jesus and all the good things he did and i spit in that bucket i mean i really spit and i made me a handful of money. and i said okay come here buddy and i forewarned him that i was going to use him As an example but he didn't know what the example was going to be he got up in front of me and I'm his pastor and he loves me and his muscle his arms are this big around and it's it's muscle and I got that handful of mud and I said now son this won't hurt but I'm gonna rub this on your face a hand three times the size of mine grabbed my wrist he said, Pastor, I would chase hell with a water pistol if you're in trouble. Don't you dare put that on my face. And so that didn't work either. <laughs> I learned one more thing about the Word of God. That you can do anything. One, we were holding a meeting in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We were preaching in the Pentecostal Church, Donnie Hackers longtime friend of mine was a pastor and I was up on the platform and the platform was about this high. Now my, one of my great spiritual mentors was Dr. C.M. Ward. He was a revival time speaker for the Assemblies of God for ever since Triggered was a pony And, and I listened to him and he preached for me and we were lifetime friends and oh he could, he could preach. And so I was on the platform and i was feeling good and all of a sudden the cm ward spirit came on me and i moved to the to the edge of the platform and i was going to make a big point like all the famous preachers do if you watch them on you know watch their movements they know when a good word's coming my heel got caught under the piece of metal holding down that carpet i don't know who that man was that built a four foot platform but i was stranded in midair and I fell off the platform and landed on my wrist and broke my wrist. That will definitely affect your anointing in the middle of your sermon. My wife was sitting on the front row. She said, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm from Tulsa. You never confess anything bad if you live in Tulsa. I finished the sermon and everybody wanted to know, how are you, pastor, how are you doing and how are you doing?" And I said, "I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." By the time we got home, my wrist was this big. My wife said, "Honey, go over to the city of Faith, Oral Hospital and get an X-ray." So I drove my car over to their parking lot. It's now 1:30 in the morning. And the security guard came out with a big 38 on his hip and said, "Can I help you?" And I said, "Yes." I need to get my wrist x-ray he said let's pray and i said hallelujah then they took me inside to the nurse's desk and she said may i help you and i said yes i think i broke my wrist i need to get an x-ray she said how did you break your wrist i said i fell off the platform preaching she said you must be pentecostal <laughs> she said let's pray so we prayed and i said hallelujah and then they took me in to the examination room Are there any healthcare workers here, any nurses or anybody who works in healthcare? I want to ask you a question. Why are those tables in those examination rooms about this tall, and when a Pentecostal preacher goes in and has to take all of his clothes off and put that gown on that's open in the back, they expect you to hold that thing together and crawl up on that six foot table. And I've only got one hand. So I finally got up on the table And a a nurse came in and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I need an x-ray. She said, let's pray. So she prayed for me, and I said, hallelujah. Then they took me to the x-ray room. They x-rayed my wrist, and the guy said, your wrist is broken. I said, I know that. He said, let's pray. He prayed for me, and I said, hallelujah. They gave me a wrist thing, Velcro, to wrap it up, and they sent me home. My wife said, what happened? I said, I had prayed for six times. (laughs) But just before I left, one of the workers came in and started giving me his testimony. That's what they have. They always had somebody give you the testimony. Halfway through the testimony, I said, brother, I've been prayed for six times. My wrist is broken. I want to go home. He said, let's pray. So he prayed again. I said, hallelujah. And I went home. Let me tell you what I've learned about the word of God. Because I'm a debtor to this book, folks. This book is the most important document that I own. And when they were talking about those Bibles to Pakistan, I, our church does the same thing for our pastor. And we translate it, it's translated into the, I think, Urdu, or the Urdu language. He's a young man I've been working with now for four years. I have 57 Bibles. And I've probably given that many away in my lifetime. But here's what I've discovered Every translation, every, every language. I usually, I preach out of the King James, but, but these new Bibles have so much information in them and, and modern, modern information that's so important. But this, I'm a debtor to this book. This book changed my life. It gave me direction. It told me how to raise my children, how to be a pastor, how to be a good husband. And until you have placed this book as the priority of your life, you're missing something so i'm a debtor to this book i took that word debtor from chapter 1 verse 14 in the book of romans where paul said i'm a debtor yes he was a debtor to people etc etc you must be from my church cuz when it's time for me to quit they just start playing music my wife trained him to do that Back one day, my little boy, when my oldest son was small, he said, Mommy, what does Daddy mean when he says now in closing? She said, Nothing. <laughs> Number two, we are debtors to the people of God. You must be responsible, my friend, for people outside the church. Just because they're not saved, just because they're not in church, that doesn't negate the fact that we must obligate ourselves and step beyond our own comfort zone now, i knew nothing I, I remind you guys i knew nothing about god i was saved the evening of march the 27 1957 the next day i went to my height i went back to my ninth grade high school male glee club miss ross was our music teacher sweet little lady she'd never been married I walked up one day, called her Mrs. Ross, and I said, Bob, it's Miss Ross. And I said, I'm sorry. She said, not as sorry as I am. But but when I went in, I went in that next morning after I got saved. 25 of the wickedest guys in high school, we were all ninth graders. You know when you're in the ninth grade, in order to, if you haven't grown hair on your chest yet, you have to use bad words. And so we tried to see how bad we could be. And I walked in, I said, Miss Ross, guess what? I'm saved less than 24 hours she said what I said Jesus is coming back and you're gonna go to hell she nearly fell off the piano bench I gave my first public testimony to those 25 guys and do you know that nearly 60 years later a preacher at that camp over in Stillwell came up to me last year and said Bob you may not remember me but I was in the male glee club class When you gave your first testimony and i watched your life for the next three years we were not close he said i watched your life and because of what i saw the change that had taken place in you because i like to party but the change that took place in you convinced me that christianity is real now let me tell you something i have friends that are hindu in phoenix we have five million people we're the third largest hispanic uh, the third largest islamic population in america thousands of muslims live in phoenix they're not all nice either but i have last year we baptized seven muslims in our church we have an english service at 10 o'clock a spanish service at one o'clock a swahili african service at three thirty, and then i have a second church that i preach in at six o'clock in a neighboring city we've stepped outside our comfort zone and witnessed to the muslim people to the hindu people now, I realize that middle America may not have as much of an ethnic diversity as we do in certain areas of, of the nation. Pastor Nicole was telling me about the Marshallese people that are here. Uh, we need, we, we have to forget our ethnicity. Now, I'm a conservative. I, I, I'm right down the line. All of my children are, my some of my kids are to the right of Russell. But we have got to come to a point beloved where we understand what it means to be a debtor to the lost to those who have no knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ we've got to step beyond our comfort zone sometimes that's not easy to do but if we understand that Jesus Christ died for the entire world and not just for the people who accept him when he died now listen carefully don't misunderstand when Jesus died His death and resurrection saved the entire world. Everybody on planet Earth right now are saved. But until they accept that salvation, they're not going to go to heaven. If I went to town tomorrow and bought a brand new Cadillac and put Zachary Johnson's name on the title, and said, Zach, here's a title to a brand new, it's paid for, here's the keys. This is the key to a brand new Cadillac. Your name's on the title. Is it his yet? Not until he takes possession, until he reaches out and takes those keys and the title, he does not possess that car. Now the world, salvation was provided for the entire world, but until they receive it, until they accept it, They're still lost. But salvation is there. It's just a step away. Now, who's going to take that salvation to them? That's our obligation. We are debtors to the unsaved people. We are debtors to people. That's what has driven me, beloved, around the world. That's what has caused me to spend tens of thousands of dollars over the past half century to travel to the nations of the world back into the bush country of Africa, into the Hindu-infested jungles of India. My children, uh, when we were traveling, they did their their schoolwork in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. They did schoolwork and wrote reports beneath the pyramids. When I look at my daughter, and thank God for her husband, but when I look at my children and see their commitment to God, I realized that part of that was cause we were willing to sacrifice and get out of our comfort zone and go beyond our security and reach the lost my two youngest recently well a few years well they there'll be 27 in February but 10 years ago maybe or longer 15 years ago I took them to Nigeria and they did children's church just like we used to travel the world and and Nicole and and, and Camwin trained young people with with, with mime and street, what I call street theater we would hold crusades in Paris and London and Amsterdam and Bremen, Germany and, and all over, we went everywhere it wasn't comfortable but we are indebted to those who do not know Jesus Christ we're indebted to them And lastly I believe that we are debtors to the church of God we're debtors to the Word of God we're debtors to the people of God and we're debtors to the church of God the best friends that you'll ever have are the ones sitting next to you right now the people in your church those who pray with you and pray for you I was so impressed this morning before service when the leadership was in here praying and I could feel a circle of love you could feel that when you walked in her circle of love and then brother Zachary began to pray and I and as I listened to him to pray they laid hands on me as I heard him pray I didn't hear a 23 year old young man pray. I heard a, I heard a veteran in the kingdom of God pray now let me tell you about the Church of God quickly She's going to get tired standing up there. You're a sweetheart. Let me tell you who the church of God is. See if you can identify. This is who I'm a debtor to. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah was a drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was a chewer. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Warrior, thomas was a doubter sarah was impatient elijah was moody was zachary was short abraham was old lazarus was dead god didn't call the qualified you've heard this he qualifies the call and all of these people whether they're in the old testament or the new testament Or in the church of God today people sitting next to you we've got to take care of our own we must pray we must hold a standard and we must stand strong with the people of God and I'll add this caveat not because of who they are or who I am the best people that you'll ever meet is the man or woman of God who watches out for your soul that's what's important. We're debtors to the Word of God. We're debtors to the people of God. And we're debtors to the church of God. I'm going to tell you one last story. We were pastoring in the state of Delaware. My third daughter was born while we were pastoring there. We had a young couple that started coming to our church. And I knew after the third service. That they had marital problems because she talked 24 hours a day. So they called, they called me and wanted an appointment. Now, guys, I am not a good counselor. No, no, no. I helped build three churches in the state of Delaware based on my counseling ability because I'd counsel them, they'd leave and go somewhere else. They called and they wanted an appointment. So my secretary said, Pastor, this couple's coming. I said, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to counsel them. So they got there, I messed my desk up and looked real, you know, they wanted to be counseled by somebody that had as many problems as they did. And so I looked miserable. They came in, sit down, I said, can I help you? I didn't want to be there. She said, Pastor, we have problems, can you help us? For the next hour, she told me all of their problems. The longer she talked, the more I'm sliding down in my chair. I didn't want to be there. Finally, when she finished, She said, what can you do for us? I said, honey, you need to call a lawyer. This marriage was not made in heaven. Well, it offended them. And uh, I was good at that. I've been good at that. They quit church. They hadn't been there in church in six months. And one winter morning in Delaware with three feet of snow on the ground. Spell that with three R's. Two o'clock in the morning, I get a telephone call. And this lady said, Pastor, did I wake you up? I wanted to say, no, I'm sitting on the side of the bed waiting for your call. She said, we've got a problem. Will you come pray for us? I said, woman, you ain't paid tithes in six months. It's two o'clock in the morning. There's three feet of snow on the ground. No, I'm not going to call you. Come and pray for you. She said, I said, look, you've been staying home listening to tapes. Call one of those preachers. My wife me out of bed and made me go anyway but as I drove to her house God said to me and I added some humor there it wasn't quite that ridiculous but on my way to her house God said part of your responsibility as a pastor 24-7 is to take care of the people under your care now don't abuse your pastor but take care of Of your shepherd your bishop your pastor the one that watches out for your soul and in this case you've got two of them well four of them you're a blessed congregation I hope you realize the depth and the talent and the anointing that is on this family love them care for them be indebted to the church of God And in that way you'll be indebted to the leaders that lead you. Father, I ask now that these comments, humorous and serious, will will find will be embedded in the spirits of great people. God, you've raised this church in five months or so. You've raised this congregation up. I know the ability. Of the Johnson family even grandmother who's a prayer warrior and father I pray that this community will be impacted by what's going on in this historic building that has housed so many venues but now for a few hours on Sunday becomes the temple of God thank you for the unique families that you have added to this assembly but may they understand their first and foremost Priority must be the Word of God. And then help them to realize and understand the need to go beyond their comfort zone and reach their neighbors, their employers, their employees, their family members. And then, lastly, Lord, we're debtors to the church that all of us are committed members of. I ask that the Word of God would flow and bless and bring increase to this house. In Jesus' name, and everybody said a big amen. Amen. Praise God. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, Vision for Life.